Well, welcome back to You're Not Crazy, a podcast for young pastors. We're glad to be part of the Gospel Coalition. And my name is Sam Aubrey. I'm here, as always, with the Reverend Dr. <laughs> Ray Ortland. Hi, Sam. I want to ask you a question. What sitcom do you can you watch any number of times and still be howling your head off laughing at? <laughs> Faulty Towers, of course. Uh, yeah, Basil Faulty and uh, yeah, the whole crew are hilarious. The uh, one episode after another is just wacky and delightful. What about you, Sam? Well, that's one of my favourites. So I grew up watching that show. Um, it's a British comedy for those of you who, who aren't familiar with it. Um, I love The Office, the US version of The Office, um, for a similar reason. I can I can have watched it through for the fifth time and then just immediately start back at the beginning and do it a sixth time. Was that the program that, that you and I... No, you showed me an, an episode of The West Wing. Yeah, that's very different the, to The Office. Yeah. <laughs> the Christmas episode, it was so yes. powerful. There were some people from China who were seeking asylum in, in America. That was a powerful episode. That actually helped my Christmas to be better, watching that episode of The West Wing. Wow. Yeah, thank you. So today, we're, I think we're going to be talking about gentleness. Why do we need to talk about gentleness, Ray? Well, for, for, for starters, it's in the Bible. That's a good reason. Yeah. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The word reasonableness has a footnote to it. The alternative translation is gentleness. So let your reasonableness be known to everyone, or it could be translated, let your gentleness be known to everyone. And then it says, the Lord is at hand. Now I'm struck by two things there. We'll talk about gentleness in just a moment, but let your gentleness or reasonableness be known to everyone. In other words, this should be a publicly obvious reality in a gospel-centered, healthy church. It should be publicly obvious. This church is the most reasonable and the most gentle group of people in the city. Other people might be angry, they might be inflammatory, they might be easily detonated. These people don't do that. These people receive all kinds of crazy people from a crazy culture, and they're not explosive. They're not trigger-happy. These are the most gentle, reasonable people in the entire city. You, you talk about welcoming kind of crazy people and all the rest of it. I remember being at a church once that I was working at, and I think I had some family coming or some friends coming for the first time just to visit. And... I remember looking around and seeing, oh, there's that slightly odd person, there's that socially difficult person, there's that other person who's got some issues, thinking, oh man, this is feeling a little bit kind of embarrassed, There's the sorts of crazy people that were at my church. And then I remember thinking, no, actually, this is a badge of honour for our church. This is, this is the place where they can come and they know they can be at home, they can belong, they can feel accepted and welcomed and loved. How non-crazy does somebody have to be to come to your church and start living again? The answer had better be, they don't have to be non-crazy at all. They can come and be received, hear the gospel, believe, and start to live all over again. And that's, that's one thing, the publicly obvious nature of it. Be Let your gentleness your reasonableness being known to all. 
not because we parade this around, but it's just obvious. It's just how we roll on issue after issue, a whole, a clearly evident pattern of reasonable responses, gentle responses to political and cultural crazy all around us. We don't join the crazy. We don't baptize the crazy. We're not the chaplains to the crazy. We're the alternative to the crazy. That's the first thing. Second thing I'm struck by here. I, b- I believe the greatest thing that could ever be said about any church is Jesus is real to them. They treat him as real, the risen Christ, the living Christ. He's not a hypothesis. He's not an abstraction. He's not remote and distant. He's not merely a doctrine. The Lord is at hand. And when we dare to believe that the Lord is at hand, he has all authority in heaven and on earth. Everything is going his way. When we know in our hearts that the Lord is at hand and he's got this, then we can be gentle and reasonable. If he is sovereign, we don't have to be. If he is patient, so can we be. Yeah. And if he's, if he's in control, we don't have to be controlling. No, we don't have to be. So I looked up this word um, a few minutes ago. I, don't, I hadn't done this in a long time. I looked it up in Bauer Arndt Gingrich, the standard uh, New Testament lexicon. And this, this word translated gentle or gentleness or reasonableness is in the semantic domain of non-insistence, yielding, gentle, kind, courteous, tolerant. It has to do with making allowances for people on disputed issues, clemency, gentleness, graciousness, courtesy, indulgence, tolerance. Now, we don't tolerate sin. The Bible is clear. You and I are men of theological conscience. We are men of conviction. We're men of principle. When we're talking about gentleness, we're not talking about um, uh, uh, making... We're not redefining righteousness and drawing the lines in the wrong place. We call sin, sin, because we're biblical men. But coming right out of honesty, coming right out of a culture of honor, the gospel culture of gentleness means that people who are troubled, people who are thinking, rethinking their lives at a deep level, people who, for example, at Emmanuel Church, Some people are Republicans, others are Democrats. That's not a sin issue because both Republican politics and Democrat politics come to us as package deals with some good and some bad. It's complicated. It's mixed. Who of us could say one side or the other politically is all good and the other side is all bad? We we all see that if, if we could sort of take the best of both and mush them together into a third option, that'd be great. But we don't have that yet. So at Emanuel, some are Republicans, others are Democrats. I'm not going to say where I line up on that question. I do have political convictions that and I've, I've arrived at by trying to, to think about these things Christianly. But my friends who are on the other side of the political divide have come to their convictions by the very same route. They're, they're doing the best they can with the insights the Lord has given, the way I am, Gentleness means we make generous allowance for one another. In fact, Sam, uh, 
and I explain this in, in new member seminars, not only do we not import our politics into the church and complicate our joy and our fellowship together in the Lord, a church is not a debate society where we take tertiary issues from the world and crowd the place that only Jesus deserves, the glory that is, that is his by right, and crowd that and complicate that by dragging in non-issues as far as worship is concerned, non-issues as far as fellowship is concerned, and trouble everyone. For what? For what? We park it at the door. We don't even talk about it. I say to um, our, our officers, I did it through all those years, I, am, I only have one life to live. I am not willing to labor and suffer and pray to build a social platform called a church where y'all can fight over non-issues. I will not give my life to that. But I am willing to labor and suffer and pray to build a social platform called a church where people can come together, all kinds of people, make allowance for each other for Jesus' sake, come together and just lock arms together for his sake because we've got something greater than all this world put together and all the politics. Put it all together into one gigantic pile. Jesus is greater. And so when we understand that the Lord is at hand, it calms our crazy and it opens us up to make generous allowance for all kinds of people in our church. I wonder if part of that reasonableness, you you talked about how some people can have different political conclusions to you, but because they have sought to think it through Christianly with a good conscience and, and all the rest of it, and have just wound up with differing conclusions to, to what you might have. So I wonder if part of the reasonableness isn't simply looking at where someone is and saying, you know, I think you're wrong on that, but actually saying, I can see how you've got there, and oh, I can honour how you've got there, even if where you've got to is not where I've got to. I can honour the process by which you've arrived at your conclusions. That That's the case over all sorts of issues the Bible calls disputable. I mean, that'd be the case with someone's understanding of baptism or the Lord's return or that kind of thing. I'm less interested in what they think. I'm more interested in how they got there. And how much less urgency do political questions have within the context of the Christian church? And we really need to talk about this. I'm glad we're devoting uh, an episode of this podcast to this matter because too many of our churches, we saw in the political year last year, the presidential election, there were Christians and churches that seemed to be marked by um, a, a trigger-happy or demanding or coercive, censorious, pushy, harsh um, polit political anger um, that were very clearly communicating if you're not of a certain political party, you are the enemy. <laughs> Who in their right mind would, however desperately in need of a savior, would move toward a church like that? I would not. I would run the opposite direction. And so this verse, Philippians 4, 5, let your publicly obvious gentleness, making allowance for people, reasonableness, fair-mindedness. We're, we're not here to show people how wrong they are. We're here to show everyone how gracious Jesus is and to win people to that Jesus. And so gentleness communicates 
uh, a culture of gentleness and reasonableness and fair-mindedness and non-explosive absorbency uh, in, in a church communicates Jesus is the only issue here and he really is the Prince of Peace. I've got that sort of picture in my mind of the church being like a giant shock absorber. If there's someone who, who comes along who is perhaps particularly feisty, the, the idea that they can be absorbed and, you know, welcomed and listened and not fought against, but actually encouraged into a, a kind of a calmer way of life is, is attractive. I was thinking actually of First Corinthians 14 and how you mentioned the Lord is near, that sense of spiritual reality. Paul has this idea that actually what, what should be happening is that if, if an outsider stumbles into your church service, they should be able to say, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 25, that God is really among you. Which is amazing, isn't it? That there should be something about the way we speak to each other, the way we conduct ourselves, our, our posture, our words, that gives even people who aren't Christians a sense of spiritual reality. There is something that marks us out that cannot be accounted for merely in human terms. As you said in an earlier episode, we're not just a new community, we're a new kind of community. And if God is willing to be among us, well, who am I not to be willing to hang out with people that see things differently in some ways? So if you're a young pastor and you've got highly political people uh, in, in your parish or in your church, you love them dearly, their convictions are sincere, but too obvious, and the gentleness is not the publicly obvious thing, but the political um, uh, explosiveness is conspicuous, and you grieve over that. I just, Sam and I just want to say, you're not crazy. If you're longing for um, a calmer um, more in, legitimately inclusive, politically inclusive church. You're not crazy. And Philippians 4, 5 has some gospel sanity for you. So here's how this works for me, Sam, at a practical level. So I'm in conversation with a friend at Emmanuel Church, and I kind of know where they're coming from politically because I, I follow them on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. Um, I compartmentalize in my mind. I compartmentalize. And one compartment in, in my mind says, this precious, blood-bought, spirit-indwelt, glorious human being, I really hope they lose in the voting booth. <laughs> I hope that America doesn't turn its future over to their convictions. This precious person is, I think, I think, politically wrong. Okay, that's one compartment. The other compartment is, Christ in this person, the hope of glory, and it is actually, it's all the more perfect that this person and I are friends and we are one in Christ here in this place because the devil is going to have to cope with our love for one another and our joy for one another. We are going to confound the world by being politically different and intensely loving toward one another, mm. respectful toward one another, making allowance for one another, rejoicing over one, not tolerating one another, rejoicing over one another. 
and I, I, I feel I feel victorious. I feel spiritually victorious by compartmentalizing and submerging the political and exalting the spiritual, making an allowance indeed, Sam, for myself and my political convictions, because I might be a little bit crazy too. All right. And then lifting up the Lord and honoring this precious Christian believer with whom I am one in Christ and treating this person like royalty because that's who they are. Well, something you said there is very significant because you refer to this person who you might be very apart from politically as a precious person, a, you know, a blood bought precious man or woman. And too easily we, we slide into this mentality that says, if I disagree with you on something, it means you must be morally inferior to me and therefore I can look down on you. What this verse in Philippians seems to be encouraging, and we see this throughout the Bible, is actually no, someone might be wrong on an issue. They might be objectively, really, demonstrably wrong on some aspect of politics, some aspect of the Christian life, whatever it is. It doesn't mean I get to look down on them. That's right. How, how could I? If, if Christ himself has made himself a servant of me, who am I to look down on somebody else? And what we both long for in our ministry together at, at our local church is for, for the church to become filled with people with all kinds of, all kinds of crazy. Yeah. And uh, we, we have the sacred and joyous privilege of coming together as one in Christ for his sake, because the Lord is near. We believe that. We experience that. We feel that. And so it, it gives us strong sort of relational, emotional, psychological uh, wherewithal um, to make generous allowance for each mm-hmm. other to be gentle and respectful and rejoicing. So um, when I see somebody that I know is coming from a different place politically, I have in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, both doctrine in, in, at the level of conviction and guidance as, as to the level of culture to move deliberately toward that person with intentionality, with purpose, with joy, and go embrace that person all the more sincerely and cheerfully because of how precious that person is. That person ends up more dear to me than ever before. That's wonderful. I think of um, Romans 12, verse 3, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. And it seems to me that actually a wrong view of others often comes from a wrong view of ourselves. And if we're thinking about ourselves more highly than we ought, it's probably going to mean that we're thinking of other people less highly than we ought. And... This is no less true for pastors. Paul makes a point of saying, I say this to everyone among you. It doesn't, being more theologically educated or more theologically sophisticated doesn't mean you're a better person than other people. It doesn't mean that they matter less than you do. And if I as a pastor am looking at the congregation and down deep in my heart there's a feeling that says, you know, these people are really lucky I'm here. They really need my opinions. That's not a good indicator. <laughs> yes. A friend of mine back in the back in the UK, who's a pastor, he told me that when he was 
going through seminary and he was visiting his parents one day and the, the pastor referenced the word eschatology. And my friend who, with all his seminary knowledge oozing out of him, kind of said to his dad, do you know what eschatology means? In a slightly snooty way. And his wonderful Christian father just turned around and said to him, is it when you love Jesus very much? Which just completely put my friend back in his his place and said, you know, you might know what the long words are, but actually loving Jesus is what really matters. And loving one another with the heart of Jesus. Hmm. I, I mean, Sam, what if thousands of our churches across the country are... What if, what if over the next year, by God's grace for his glory, we pastors shepherd our people toward gentleness, not as um, a last resort we, we just finally accept, but as a mark of honor and as indeed our superpower. It's not a concession. It's not a compromise. It's a power because the Lord is in it. The Lord is at hand. What if a year from now, thousands of our churches are, you know, however these things are measured, 10% more gentle than they are today? That might be the beginning of the next Great Awakening. It's interesting, isn't it? The, the news feed in heaven is very different to the news feed on earth. We sort of think politics is where the real action happens. That's where the real difference is made. People are saying, I'm going into politics because I want to, I want to change the world. I, I want to make a difference. And verses like that one in Philippians 4 show us actually, you, you be a non-crazy person in our culture today for the glory of Jesus, that's actually going to make a difference. That's the kind of thing that pops up on the newsfeed of heaven. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, Sam. I never thought of it that way before. Let your gentleness be known to everyone, including Christ himself. Yeah. <laughs> what if our risen Lord above looks at us and our various churches pastored by young pastors and is enthusing over the gentleness, his own gentleness that he sees rising in our churches. You, you can see, this, this, I don't think this is irreverent, but um, you can sort of imagine Jesus with all the assembled angels going, hey, 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 look at that guy, look at that guy. <laughs> look at his gentleness, look at his forbearance with people who are, Probably driving him crazy, but he's he's actually continuing to love them and, and give himself out for them. That's our superpower. Okay. A culture of, we've talked about a culture of honesty. We've talked about a culture of honor. We've talked about a culture of gentleness. Now, what we're seeing, I think, and what we're trying to, we're making the case, Sam, that these are not optional overlays. These are nice, uh, the, these are not nice add-ons that you might get around to if you have the time and the bandwidth and the personal predilection. We're saying this is the outworking of the gospel itself, and we are not faithful to the gospel if we're not cultivating this culture. And by God's grace, if we are cult we're teaching the doctrine and cultivating the culture, we are solid pastors. And any pastor daring to do this is not crazy. Well... Gentleness and self-control are part of the fruit of the Spirit. So if they're not the fruit of our theology, that must mean our theology is not from the Spirit. Whoa, whoa, oh, whoa. 
I hadn't thought of it that way. That's a direct hit. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is why it's not optional. It's actually saying the sign that we genuinely know the truth of Christ actually is that we, we want to become more like him. We, we cherish and esteem the virtues we see in him. And a culture is when a whole body of people together commit to that priority. And they share that together. They guard that together. They in, cultivate, develop, enrich that together. That, and as we are going up against an entire culture that is not favorable to Christ. The only answer to one culture is another culture. Not, uh, we can't be a piecemeal in our response to our historic emergency. And we can't just be anti the culture that we see around us as if that actually does any good. This verse, I'm sure, will come up at various points, and it's obviously been the, the, the inspiration for your, son's Dane, your son Dane's book. But if Jesus describes his own heart as gentle and lowly, we have no place to demean those qualities. We have no place to say, well, that's nice in theory, but in the real world, we've got to just be a bit more punchy than that. That's right. Um, they're, not, they're not pushover qualities, are they? The men I've known in my life that I most respect have been marked in many ways, but this, this they have in common. Strong gentleness. They are strong men. They are not cowards. They are not weaklings. They are men of conviction who are covered with gentleness. And I feel welcome in their presence. I feel respected and understood in their presence. And the men, frankly, Sam, that I don't really want to hang out with, uh, they've been the uh, staunch, rock-ribbed, doctrinaire guys uh, who, if I don't uh, toe the line and agree with every detail, uh, they will unload on me Yeah, and tell me what a lousy Christian I am. I'm just not interested. That is not of Christ. And I don't care how pure the doctrinal statement is, that is not a faithful ministry. Well, lots more as always to, to say on these things, and we'll get into more of these things, I'm sure, in the episodes to come. We remain grateful to, to Crossway for sponsoring this podcast. Um, we, we love their, their books. We love their ministry. Ray, you have a book coming out with Crossway soon called The Death of Porn. Yes. Subtitle, Men of Integrity, Building a World of Nobility. So there, there have been a few books over the years that have tried to confront this you know, epidemic of, of men who are giving themselves away to pornography. What's, what's your approach in the book? Well, it, that it's, we can stop playing defense, we can play offense, we can marginalize, stigmatize, limit and diminish and disempower the whole industry creating the porn. But this book really is a field manual for men to get together in small groups and start talking about what's hard, in life, how life is not going well, how they're not doing well, and sharing that, vi that transparency, that vulnerability, that honesty, and taking it to the Lord together in prayer and finding stre fresh strength uh, to run the race and to fight for what's right. We there can be a new civil rights movement. The porn industry is oppression. 
There is not a single woman in the porn industry who wants to be there and who got there because she was dignified into it. She was degraded into it. We're not okay with that. Porn is a justice issue. Mm. So we as men want to come together in real honesty and talk about this and pray together and hold each other up. And then we also want to do everything we can. I have practical suggestions in the book about how we can fight for justice in this whole area of very personal um, human sexuality. So let's, let's assume there's a, there's a young pastor listening to this who is ensnared in pornography. And even the fact that we've raised this issue right now, they're feeling terrified. Terrified that one day they'll be found out, terrified that they can't get themselves out of this. What's your message to them? It is terrifying, isn't it? There are things about me. Sam, I'm not looking at porn, but there are things about me that terrify me. That is true of every man, which is why, coming back to uh, our previous uh, episode about honesty, every man listening to this podcast must have one or two other faithful, trustworthy men he respects to whom he frequently confesses his sins, and they pray together, and they confess their sins to him. So that guy who's terrified, he is actually perfectly positioned to enter into a profound experience of brotherhood with other guys, and he will be able to bear their burdens with them and for them, because hmm. he really understands. So what holds us back from that? Let's let every reason for delay fall away, and let's... That pastor you're talking about needs to uh, pick up his phone after this podcast and call that brother in Christ in his city whom he trusts and respects and make an appointment this week to practice James 5.16 and confess their sins and pray and be healed this week. We're so grateful for you listening to this podcast. Uh, we don't take that for granted. Um, do visit tgc.org slash podcasts for more episodes and information and We'd love it if you could subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you go for your podcasts. Thank you. The You're Not Crazy podcast was made possible by multiple team members at TGC. That team includes the hosts of the show, Ray Ortland and Sam Alberry, as well as Stephen Morales and Andrew Lapara as executive producer and producer. Heather Farrell, our podcast lead. Gabriel Reyes, our graphic designer, and Josh Diaz, our audio engineer. You're Not Crazy is a part of the Gospel Coalition Podcast Network. You can find more podcasts at tgc.org forward slash podcasts.